Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. My name is Phil Harland. I'm a prof at York University in Toronto, and we're continuing with the series, The Historical Jesus in Context. In this episode, we explore the issue of Jesus as a Galilean and Jesus as a Judean. We're interested most in questions of culture. What was cultural life like in Galilee, and how did this relate to cultural life in Judea? We begin by sketching out some of the common denominators of Judean culture centered on the temple in Jerusalem that were somewhat widespread within Judea itself. We then turn to the question and the debate about to what degree did Judean culture centered in the temple in Jerusalem come to have an influence on a district quite far north, namely Galilee. To what degree was Galilee Judean? Or to put it another way, to what degree was Galilee Jewish? We'll be exploring both the local and regional differences that exist, as well as the commonalities that allow us to speak of Jesus both as a Galilean and, to some degree at least, as a Judean. I hope you enjoy this episode. Remember that our overall approach to the historical Jesus here is to get a better sense of where he fits in broad terms. Because when it comes to the details, quite often we can't say much with a high level of probability about Jesus. Using historical methods, that is. A good approach to Jesus when you can't know the precise details of things is to at least know what ballpark he fits in what context he fits in, and by knowing about the context and about the contemporaries of Jesus, we can begin to know more about Jesus himself. It narrows down the possibilities, is another way of putting it, once you start realizing, okay, this is a peasant that lived in a town in Galilee. And then within that narrowing of the possibilities, you can begin to say, with some degree of likelihood, other things about Jesus. This week, we'll be concentrating on Jesus as a Galilean, And, once we figure out the question of how Judean was Galilee, Jesus is a Judean who follows the Judean Torah. And so, the whole discussion is about Jesus the Galilean and potentially Judean, Jew. Let's say a few quick things today that we'll develop later about Judean culture and what's going on in this area. I'm being very general, and you always have to remember about regional differences. Galilee in the north, Samaria in between, and Judea in the south, are regions with their own particular ways of doing things. The Samaritans have a somewhat separate history from Judea from this point forward and feel that Yahweh, the Israelite God, should be worshipped at Mount Gerizim in Samaria, not in Jerusalem. And so there's some tensions between the regions as well. Galilee has its own regional ways of doing things. They all worship the Israelite God, Yahweh, but they might do it in different ways. But the things I'm outlining now are most true about the Judean way of doing things that may have influenced the Galilean way of worshipping that God. Looking at Jesus and his context in Judean culture at the time, we need to dispel some of the things we may think and find out what it's like in the first century and not assume we know it all. A good way of quickly explaining Judean culture to you and the way in which Judeans worship their God is based on four main common ideas that circulate, common denominators that are important to the majority of people in Judea in the first century. 
But I am drawing on E.P. Sanders' ideas that first started to be developed in Paul and Palestinian Judaism, and then came to be expressed more fully in Judaism, practice, and belief, ideas concerning covenantal gnomism, as he calls it. However, I'm hesitant about simply assuming that what we can say was common within Judean culture centered on the temple in Jerusalem can also be applied to various regions, including Galilee. And we'll soon get into this whole debate about what, how Judean was Galilee and what connections were there between Galilee and Judea, which impacts some of the issues that E.P. Sanders raises. So in other words, I both agree with Sanders in some respects and disagree in other respects, and we'll get into that soon. Judean culture and the Judean way of honoring the God are centered, or Judaism as it would be traditionally called, are centered around these four common denominators. First of all, there's only one God, and that God is Yahweh. The only true God that should be worshipped is Yahweh. But they share in common the focus on the one God, Yahweh, what we could call monotheism. Second point. That one God, Yahweh, has a special relationship with God's people, the Israelites, and the Judeans feel they're the official torch carrier for that whole tradition of the Israelites. Part of the election is that God chooses his people and gives them land. So that idea of the land is central to what the vast majority of Judeans in the first century would think is important or something to talk about. They might have different ways of explaining it, the next thing is, as part of that election and choosing of his people, he made a deal, a covenant with his people, that Yahweh will be their God, and that they, in return, have to live up to their side of the covenant, which is represented in the Torah, in the law, which includes prescriptions for purity. If you enter the temple of that God, you need to be pure in particular ways. And so purity obligations, Sabbath observance, Sacrifices that are part of what you do if you approach the temple are central uh, to the law, the Torah, and the covenant that is established between God and his people. And you'll soon see there's all kinds of debate among Judeans. Well, which laws are more important than others? How do we interpret the laws? That's the main difference between Jesus and some other contemporaries is how they interpret it, not whether they interpret the law, not whether they respect the Torah. The question is how they interpret the Torah. Differences of interpretation lead to the various conflicts you find in first century Judea among different Judean groups. They all agree on the importance of the law. That's part of the reason there's tensions. Finally, the fourth main principle, the temple. And that that is the place in which you approach closest to that holy God. The temple involves all kinds of activities centered on sacrifice that are linked up with the Torah, that are linked up with the law that was part of the covenant. So all of these things all blend together, don't they? They're all interrelated, the four common denominators. All right, so those are the common denominators that you could say are pretty well across the board among Judeans. However, there's all kinds of diversity that I'm already hinting at. You see this diversity, for example, in the regional differences that I've already mentioned. There's also differences among the educated people, the people who spend their time reading and learning to read and then studying the Torah. They disagree with one another so that you begin to have different camps, you could say, or different groups, such as the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes that we're going to talk about later in the course. So there's that diversity there. There's all kinds of things going on despite the common denominators. On top of that, you have all kinds of things going on at the popular level, the uneducated, the illiterate, masses of peasants. This is where you start to place Jesus and the Jesus movement within the Judean diversity in the first century. 
dispel your idea of Christianity as a separate religion at this point and realize that the Jesus movement begins as one of the various diverse forms of worshiping the Judean God in the first century. Another factor that played an important role in the diversity that existed despite the common denominators is diaspora Judaism, namely the fact that you find Judeans in various parts of the Mediterranean and that different developments can take place in different places. There's uh, all kinds of cases of Judeans who go outside of Israel and, and settle elsewhere. So there's Judeans in Asia Minor, there's Judeans settled in cities in Greece, there's Judeans settled in Rome, there's Judeans in Alexandria. There's a dispersion, a diaspora as it's called. And there you'll have these monotheistic Judeans interacting with non-monotheistic Greeks and Romans in the cities. Let's get into the, one of the most hotly contested and hotly debated issues. And that has to do with cultural life, whether or not Galilee is linked to Judea in terms of culture. In other words, whether we could talk about Galilee being Jewish. To what degree did Judean culture centered in Jerusalem have an impact on Galilee? I've refrained from using the word Judaism and Jewish quite often because it reminds you of we're dealing with regional cultures and the degree to which one regional culture has an influence on some other region. And in that culture is included religion, but it's not separated by an ancient person, is it? So to talk about Judaism sounds as though you're talking about religion. To speak of Judean culture sounds like you're talking about a broader concept that includes what God you worship, that includes how you worship that God. Talking about Judean culture and, and the idea of it being centered around the temple in Jerusalem as that refounded temple state that we've already talked about since the Persian period. The second temple period, a very specific type of Judean culture arising. And the question of how that impacts or does not impact culture in other areas of the same vicinity in the Mediterranean world. So that's the context. The debates that rage about Galilee and culture have to do with how Hellenistic it is, or how Judean it is, or how Israelite it is. That scan through history tells you why those are the categories to choose from there. To what degree is culture in Galilee historically linked to the Israelites who lived there way back ever since the tribal Israel? To what degree is culture dating back from that period and that things are remembered and retold and stories about Moses are told in a certain way that is characteristic of the Israelites of that period and continues in Galilee? By the way, Horsley argues this to some degree, doesn't he? that there are specific Israelite traditions that are preserved among the peasantry, including in places like Galilee, that may differ from the temple state overall remembrance of Israelite traditions and reconfiguration of Israelite traditions into what we know as Judean culture. They're all working with a common heritage, but centuries of different ways of dealing with that heritage. And centuries of things like a temple state being set up and a whole, a whole a small group of people deciding how to run it. The other issue is how Hellenistic is Galilee? Well, first of all, the question of is Judea and is Judaism influenced by Hellenism, we've already answered yes. Hellenistic culture had an impact on all of the areas that were taken over by the Hellenistic kings. The question is what degree? And we've already talked about that with the Maccabees. Some people more, some people less. A previous view of Galilee specifically came in the wake of archeological digs that only began in Galilee in the 1900s, primarily, in the late 1900s. And what they found when they looked at places like Sepphoris and Tiberias, some of the archaeologists, is Hellenistic mosaics depicting Dionysus. 
But what wasn't taken carefully into consideration by some scholars of Jesus when they were looking at this stuff is it's all later. The vast majority of the evidence for, say, worship of Greek gods in Galilee post-dates 70 CE. We agree that there's some Hellenization, no doubt. But most of the evidence for a high degree of Hellenization dates after 70 CE. The reason I mention that is that there was a certain portrait of Jesus and uh, Crossan's influenced by it that built on this idea of high degree of Hellenization. Namely, the idea that Jesus was a cynic philosopher. A guy named Bert Mack developed this theory that Jesus was in a very cosmopolitan society where Hellenistic culture was widespread to the degree that Hellenistic philosophies, including cynics, were hanging out in the same places where Jesus was. Jesus was influenced by cynic philosophy, and he was a cynic philosopher himself. Date matters when you're looking at archaeology. matters a lot. People are generally agreed now that there is some degree of Hellenization to the point where some people speak Greek, for example, and that in the cities of Sepphoris and Tiberias, there's definitely more Greek culture, but that the degree of Greek culture does not extend beyond that and does not extend out into the villages and village life in places like Nazareth and Capernaum and places like that. However, go across the Sea of Galilee, from Galilee, cross over to Decapolis. It's a bit of a giveaway, the name of it, isn't it? Ten, city, ten Greek city-states. So over here you do have ten main Greek city-states. Couldn't get more Hellenistic than that. So Jesus is across the sea. However, despite this proximity, there is a relatively low level of Hellenistic culture in Galilee. So your Jesus has to correspond to that situation to some degree. Let's get to the issue of Judean culture and Galilee specifically now, the question of to what degree Judean culture was a part of Galilean culture. First of all, what I mean by Judean culture. What I mean by Judean culture is the set of cultural practices and customs centered on the temple and embodied in the Torah the Judean Torah, as it was formulated in the exile and came to be the guidebook of the newly founded temple beginning in about 500 BCE in the Second Temple period. That's what we mean by Judean culture. The, the practices and customs and culture that rose up around that newly founded temple in Jerusalem in the Second Temple period. There are scholarly debates, though, to, about how much Judean culture had an impact on Galilee. And not only that, E.P. Sanders would argue that there was a common Judaism, that there was a common Judaism shared by virtually all of the territory we're looking at here, a common way of honoring the Israelite God shared by people in Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee, and that you can speak of a common culture across the board. In other words, Sanders has a very high estimate on the degree to which Judean culture centered in the temple system of the second temple extended itself throughout Israel. To what degree is Jesus Judean? Well, we already saw Sanders has Jesus as a Jewish apocalyptic prophet. I've already outlined something to you that's somewhat borrowed from Sanders, and that is the idea of common denominators. But I actually tweaked it in a way that said common denominators of Judean culture. I avoided talk of common denominators of Judaism that assumed that it's the same everywhere. I argued that you can say those are common to Judean culture. The question is, to what degree did it influence Galilee? Sean Frain is another scholar who would emphasize the attachments between Galilee and Judea 
and who would see Judean culture as playing an important role in Galilee. But on the other end of the spectrum is Horsley. Richard Horsley argues that Judean culture had almost no impact on Galilee and that you cannot assume a common culture between Galilee and Judea. This would impact how you look at Jesus, wouldn't it? Your decision on where to put yourself in that whole situation impacts how you see Jesus, because Jesus is living in that world. I think there's a middle way between these two scholarly extremes, and that's what we're exploring right now. Let's talk about some of this evidence now. First of all, there's literary evidence. Let me mention some of it quickly and then get on to the archaeological evidence. There's evidence that some Galileans, people in the same area where Jesus lived, made the trek to Jerusalem for the major festivals, the major festivals like Passover. However, the evidence is not that everyone does it all the time. The evidence is that some people sometimes do it. Remember that it's a week-long thing, if not more, to get down to Jerusalem. So this question of how Galileans relate to the temples central to the issue of how Galilee relates to Judean culture. Remember that the temple is the central system for a Judean culture. And we have some evidence that some Galileans sometimes go, therefore showing some allegiance, you could say, to that place as a place to worship the Israelite God. There are other anecdotal incidents that are related in Josephus. Remember, Josephus is a problematic source. But when you put them all together, it starts to indicate the possibility of more links between some people in Galilee and some people in Judea. Judas the Galilean leads a revolt. When does he lead it? He leads it when the Roman governors become the main rulers in 6 CE. When the client king Archelaus gets put out and the Romans decide we're going to directly rule this, Judas the Galilean leads a revolt and he says this, according to Josephus, we'll accept no rule but God's rule. We want a theocracy. This is unacceptable. Romans out. We want a theocracy. I'm not going to go into a detailed analysis of that revolt, but the point is there's a, a story about Judas the Galilean getting enough Judeans together to cause some trouble. He's not in Galilee at the time. doesn't tell you a whole lot, but it tells you something. These are the types of things we have. When Gaius Caligula attempts to have a statue of the emperor put in Jerusalem and in relation to the temple, Josephus reports, again Josephus, reports that in Galilee there was a huge revolt about it, attachment to the temple. Galileans, hearing about the action that was going to be taken, living up in Galilee and going, let's protest. This shouldn't happen. We like the temple. We are associated with the temple. We think that's the place to worship our God. Connections between Judean culture and Galilee but again, based only on these literary anecdotes. They don't tell us a whole lot, but they tell us some connection. My tendency is to see a significant degree of Judean culture impacting the area of Galilee. And then this influences then my view of Jesus, doesn't it? I began to give you literary evidence that could be interpreted, others have interpreted it differently, but that could be interpreted as signs of connections between the temple in Jerusalem, Judean culture, and Galilee. Archaeological evidence gives us more of a picture of Jesus the Galilean once we start to see how much Judean culture is impacting here. But once again, and you read about this in Reed chapter 4, he is more in line with the view that I have, namely that Galilee was significantly influenced by Judean culture. That Galilee was a very Jewish place and that therefore Jesus is more likely to be Jewish. 
read is more in line with what I think, namely that there was a significant degree. He may be more extreme on how clearly we can know Judean culture was impacting that area, but uh, nonetheless, he's more in line with what I think. There's still problems, though, in interpretation here. Archaeology does not speak to us clearly. Just because you find an artifact does not mean you have something certain. There is still the process of scholarly interpretation of those artifacts. And there are some who argue, for example, that the ritual baths that I'm going to suggest connect Galilee with Judean culture are in fact not at all a sign of Judean culture or purity concerns. They're simply baths and they could be interpreted in a variety of ways. There's some who would argue that. They usually have another interest in arguing that based on their overall theory though, but nonetheless they can argue that. But let's look at this evidence having noted the fact that scholars interpret it differently. When you look at the archaeological evidence, the difficulty sometimes is in dating things. How do we know whether something's from the time of Jesus and therefore representative of what Jesus would encounter or what cultural context Jesus was in? Or is it later in the first century and therefore not a sign of what context Jesus was in? Or in the second century or third century, in which case you're getting further and further away from Jesus. So there's that, there's that added problem as well. But nonetheless, spanning the whole time period, including overlapping with the time of Jesus, we have archaeological finds that have been interpreted as ritual baths. Mikvaot is the Hebrew name. So a ritual bath involves a stone and there's steps going down into the ritual bath. You would immerse yourself, basically your whole body, in the water. Usually there's either a sign of two sets of stairs so that you can go down one set impure and up another purified, or one set of stairs with a divider on it so that you could go down one side and up the other. Holylandphotos.org is where you can find a lot more photos of these things. Here's one in Jerusalem uh, that illustrates, in this case, it's a stepped pool from all sides. So that's what we mean by a mikvah, or a ritual bath. We already know this, that the Judean Torah as it was formulated in connection with the exile and return to Judea and the reformulation of the temple was very much focused on purity, as were old Israelite traditions before that. And the idea of the temple needing to be pure, and that the priesthood of function there having to be pure, and that the average Joes and Janes who come into contact with the priesthood, or wanting to go to the temple to offer their sacrifices, to approach God, in other words, they had to be pure too. So purity was a central concern of the Torah in how the temple needed to function. As time went on, it seems to be that purity concerns continue to be significant beyond just the temple. And that some Judeans, and then we've got to figure out how much this impacts Galilee, but some Judeans began to extend this purity concern to their everyday life. Where it wasn't just a matter of, I need to be pure when I approach the temple. They started to extend it, it seems, to, in my everyday life, I want to aim at some level of purity as it's outlined in the Torah with regard to approaching the temple, even if I'm not approaching the temple. There are signs of this taking place, and it's connected closely with the interpretation of these baths as ritual baths. In various places in Galilee, we have ritual baths with steps going down into them and steps coming up out of them, made out of stone, with the water supply being just rainwater. These would be good candidates for what you would need to do in order to become pure after contact with impurities. Impurities like coming into contact with a corpse makes someone impure to approach the temple. Coming into contact with blood 
make someone impure go towards the temple. We're saying that these concerns start to extend, though, beyond just going to the temple. Purifying yourself by immersion in water is one of the key ritual elements in how to regain a status of purity after contact with impurity. And we begin to see these baths existing throughout Judea, in Jerusalem, in various parts, and in Galilee. You can interpret these as signs that people in various places, including Galilee and Judea, upper class people definitely, but maybe even average people, are concerned to have access to a ritual bath that would allow them to maintain purity, even if they're way up in Galilee, nowhere near the temple. Next step from that is that we're having signs of Judean culture as it's developing and as it's being expanded from what the Torah has to ideas of purity being important elsewhere is starting to have a hold on other areas, including Galilee. So that's how the reasoning works. Now, the reason that stone is important here is within the Judean worldview and Judean culture, stone is not susceptible to impurity in the same way that other materials are. Other materials hold the impurity and pass it on to someone else who touches it. That leads us to the next thing that has been found. The other thing that's relating to stone, I was talking about stone within the Judean worldview. Stone is something that's good to use because it does not continue the uh, contagion of impurity. We find many examples throughout Judea in excavations and in Galilee as well of stone vessels being very important and very common. So the, the vessels you would use to eat from, the vessels you would keep your water in, the vessels for drinking from, we have plenty of examples of stone being the preferred type of material to use. We know from Pharisaic debates, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, from their writings we know how much many Judeans, like them, the educated ones at least, were concerned with using stone and other means uh, of avoiding contamination and avoiding impurities passing from one thing to another. And so this is another sign then, of potential for Judean culture having an impact on Galilee because there's plenty of evidence of stone vessels being used there. This sort of evidence, as you can tell from what I've already said, is not something that makes it absolutely certain that every Galilean is engaged in Judean culture. No, not at all, right? It's a sign that some Galileans, at least, were concerned with following Judean culture in the same way that people in Jerusalem were concerned in following it. And that there is a significant number of people in Galilee doing that especially the upper classes, but there's also signs that some of these ritual baths were not upper class ritual baths, but rather baths that could be used by average peasants that were wanting to uh, be pure in some way. There's some questions still remaining there about the degree to which Galilee is Judean, but what we can say from what I've said so far, including the literary evidence and the archaeological evidence, is that it's likely that Jesus was living in a context where Judean culture was common and where concerns of purity were common, the purity in a variety of ways, in your eating practices and in your everyday life, that purity was a concern among many people living in Galilee, is what I'm arguing here, that that's highly likely. And that therefore Jesus, as a peasant living in Nazareth, would likely be part of this Judean culture that we're talking about here. So that's setting aside any internal evidence within Christian writings, obviously. I'm not even arguing from that yet about Jesus, am I? 
I'm not saying, well, Gospel of Mark says X, Y, and Z, and the Gospel of Matthew says this, therefore Jesus is Judean. I'm not arguing that yet. I'm beginning with the outside view, the context view, that tells you that there's a significant influence of Judean culture going on in Galilee, regardless of what one Christian writing says or another Christian writing doesn't say about Jesus, and that therefore Jesus is likely to be part of this context. Another point that is made by those who argue for a somewhat high degree of Judean influence on Galilee has to do with pork and the lack of it in Galilee. When excavators work on a site, they can actually analyze remnants of food using scientific means to find out what bone remnants are left in this eating area. What they find is an absence of pork. We know that the Judean law the Torah, as it's formulated with the return from exile, is very much focused on that as an element in Judean culture. Refraining from eating pork is very important. So this is corroborating evidence. It's not really just because of the absence of pork doesn't mean everyone's Jewish, does it? But what it does tell you is it goes along with some of this other archaeological evidence of the ritual baths together with the stone vessels, starting to add up to a picture that says it's likely that there's a, a good number of people in Galilee who consider themselves following Judean culture in some way. Burial practices are also significant here. What archaeologists have found is that the burial places that you find in Jerusalem and in Judea are the same style of burial places that you find in Galilee. It tells you that there's a common culture of how to bury your dead, including that whole thing of secondary burial that you've read about in Reed. Namely, that bodies were laid out until decomposition took place, laid out underground on slabs that were like a bed, and then you left the body to decompose and return to put it all together into often an ossuary, a bone box, or to put it into a common area where the bones of the ancestors were put so that the family was buried together ultimately. So family burial is very important both in Judea and in Galilee. This overall discussion has been focused on saying that Jesus is a Galilean, and now you know more about the social life of a Galilean, the political context of a Galilean, and the economic context of a Galilean, as well as the cultural possibilities for life in villages like Nazareth. So we've got a picture of Jesus the Galilean from this discussion, and also, I argue, Jesus the Judean, because my own interpretation of the evidence that lines up with some other scholars, but not with all scholars, sees a significant degree of impact of Judean culture and the temple on Galilee in the first century. So that's been the point of what we've talked about. That concludes this episode. I hope you'll come again. In the meantime, you can browse my website at philipharlan.com. I like early Christianity. The opening music of this series in the podcast is Paradise Lost by Namgyal Lamo, a Tibetan artist. You can find her on the web and you can buy her CDs at Amazon.